As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today we have a different sort of Total Soccer Show episode for you. A very special Total Soccer Show episode. It's a get-to-know-your-host edition of the show. Graham Ruthven, Joe Lowry, Ryan Bailey have already done the previewing for this summer's European Championship. They're also going to be joining me to cover the tournament itself. We're going to be putting out daily review shows, and with the frequency with which you're about to be hearing from all of us, we felt like it might be a good idea for you to get to know your host a little bit. So if you're new to the show, uh, or if you've been listening for a long time, but you want to hear about uh, Graham's experiences at weddings, we're going to talk about that later on, <laughs> oh uh, then this is the episode for you. And in fact, with that in mind, let's get to some introductions. First up, uh, all the way, since I've already mentioned him, uh, all the way from an intermittently active construction site somewhere in Scotland, <laughs> it's Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. <laughs> Hello, Taylor. How are you? The, the construction site is a little bit quieter at this time of night, which is... Uh, which is a good thing. I'm not having to compete for um, airtime with uh, <laughs> with like a what do you call those a steamroller sort of thing. Yeah. That's yeah. So they're packed away for the evening. Where see Graham? I always try to write like the the quick introductions just so I don't forget them. And I will say it was a difficult one to write and not make it sound like you were squatting in a construction site. You do have a home there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have right, we, cool. we 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 pay to live here, uh, <laughs> and there are walls and a roof and uh, a bed, but. It's a, it's, a, right. it's a new house, so there's not much more than that, to be honest, you, at the I, moment. I'm not going to lie. You have not convinced me, because you described <laughs> the most basic house you could possibly... Like, yeah, it's, there's a roof here and walls. That that doesn't really, like, give me the specifics I need, Graham, to know that yeah. you're not just, like, living in a, in a backhoe or something. Yeah, I, I just described generic house A, <laughs> and you're just going to have to take my word for it, right, that right. I, I do actually legally live here. 
right. and my name is on the on on the documents. All right, perfect. I, I will take you at your word. Uh, we have so Graham in Scotland with hopefully uh, better weather than it has been recently. But on the opposite side of the weather spectrum, we have a man who uh, doesn't believe in seasons because he's chosen to live in the desert. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. <laughs> hey, Taylor. I'm really excited to play the newlywed game or the Total Soccer Show version of the newlywed game with all of you. Um, and <laughs> I'd like to that. say I'd like to say Graham's house and Ryan's made-up Eastern European friend, I think they're about on the same level for the last couple of shows we've done. <laughs> I will say, I met I met Joe for the first time in person uh, for MLS Cup in Seattle, and and I do think that's where my, my, like, my memory of Joe being confused by seasons or just sort of like not used <laughs> to seasons comes in. Is that correct, Joe? Are you actually sort of like not used to the changing of the season? Oh, not at all. We have two seasons here in Arizona. We have summer and we have, eh, we More call summer. it winter, but it's really summer. just, yeah. it's just, it's just light fall for everyone else. So yeah, I mean, going up <laughs> to Seattle fall. and it's, it's wet and it's raining and it's a little foggy yeah. and it's cold. What is that all about, guys? This is, I'm not conditioned for this. I don't know what's That's going cold. on. I'm only a hundred degrees or higher. I'm right at home. Not that I like it, but I'm right at home, Taylor. I, it didn't occur to me how it would be very foreign for Joe to go to Seattle, but less so for Graham to go to Seattle. <laughs> Graham, have you been there? Is that is that where your your uh, fake home also is? <laughs> no, I've not been to Seattle, but I have right. been to Portland. And weirdly, I think I've already mentioned it was uh, scorching weather when I went to Portland, which I don't think is customary for Portland. Portland. All right. Well, I'm glad we all have uh, some connection. You've been in the U.S. Ryan lives in the United States, though he is, I believe, a North Carolina native who uses the fake British accent. Ryan, Ryan Bailey, thank you for uh, for taking the time to be here today. Hey, y'all. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's well done, man. Uh, have we ever gotten into why it is that you live in North Carolina, Ryan? Uh, because I don't think I've ever asked that. Um one day, someone said, do you want to live where it rains every day? Or would you like to come somewhere where it's really nice and you can have a much bigger house for much cheaper than where you live currently? And I said, yes, let's do that, please. All right. And now and now, North Carolina, it is. Have you picked up, like, are there any Southern idioms or Southern dialects that you do enjoy? Or have you kind of maintained the Britishness? Um, I say y'all sometimes non-ironically. Uh, and I think that the, mo- the, the time when I've come the most American is when I'm at a drive through which I do rather frequently, I'm ashamed to say. Because if I say, oh, hello, my good man, could I have a half and half iced tea? My good sir, what, what, what? They don't quite get it through the window of the, uh, the drive through So uh, I have to kind of, hey, yeah, I'll get a half and half tea. I'll get some tomato in my sandwich. And I, I, I sort of wow. slip into that wow. transatlantic thing. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Wow. I was not ready for that. Have your parents been to visit North Carolina? And if so, what were their impressions of your American accent and everything else? Uh, yeah, my, my, my mom's been over, yes, and she likes it here. She understands why we live here. She sees it's very nice here indeed. Uh, nicer than South London, the not very nice part of South London, which I grew up in. Um, yeah, and I think the weirdest thing is because I've got two kids. I've got a, uh, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old uh, who are both born here. So they have a very – and they go to a British school here. So they've got this very transatlantic – you know how Kelly Osbourne used to speak in the Osbournes TV show? Yes. They have yes. that accent where it's kind of halfway uh, across the Atlantic. A Lewis um, Hamilton. So they don't – so when we go home, like they definitely don't sound British. And when they're here, they definitely don't sound American. It's odd. When I, when I was a little kid, I remember being sad to find out that you you couldn't – like it was not acceptable for you to just adopt accents because I really did uh, – honestly, really did want a Scottish accent. And I had this idea of like I'll move to Scotland and I'll live there and then I'll come back with an accent. And then I learned <laughs> that that's what the worst people do. So, <laughs> like uh, Steve McLaren. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just like Steve McLaren. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so thank you all for uh, bearing with me as I mildly uh, – 
embarrass you and introduce you at the same time. Uh, I have some questions for our, our hosts about themselves, about how they got into soccer, uh, various things like that. But first, again, for people who are new, a quick bit of background about the show you're listening to. Uh, the Total Soccer Show started with myself and Daryl Grove. Uh, we did it as a radio show here in Richmond, Virginia, where I am from and Daryl was living. Uh, we transitioned to a podcast. We started it in 2009. Uh, and Daryl kept it going when I was abroad for two years, and then we did it remotely when I was up in Northern Virginia. He was still in Richmond. We went five days a week when when I moved back to Richmond, and it's been full-time since then. The show took a pretty big hit when Daryl was diagnosed with cancer in January of 2019, but he kept doing the show the same positivity, the same levels of warmth uh, until he passed away in October of 2020. Uh, and Ryan, I think, uh, and I had first interacted doing uh, Goalmouth, which was like a daily soccer show that we did with uh, George Gracie and Brooks Peck. Uh, and Ryan had always, his episodes had always made me laugh. <laughs> no disrespect to everybody else, but Ryan's were the episodes that like made me laugh every single time. So I was really excited to... To get to work with Ryan a little bit more. And then Joe, I think I've told this story before, but I think Joe just tweeted out one day like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. And Daryl and I were like, we got to get on that immediately because <laughs> we need we need Joe talking about soccer. Uh, and and now here Joe is. And then I think Graham initially was on the program to cover La Liga, I think yeah. is what we would talk about a lot. And then it sort of occurred to me that like maybe you would also want to talk about other leagues. And now here we are with the three of you uh, doing all the Euro previewing with me and and Ryan and Joe stepping in when I had uh, paternity leave, such as it was, and, and they kept the show going and producing it. And now we're going to cover a major tournament together. And it's, and it's going to be a big one for us. Uh, I think that's the kind of gist of the Total Soccer Show. I'll go around the horn really quickly to ask... Uh, starting with Graham. Graham, for you, like, what is your quick background? How did you get into writing about soccer, covering soccer? Yeah, so I, I guess um, my first thing that I did in terms of covering football was... I, I, so I'm a Sterling Albion fan. Sterling Albion are a very small team in Scotland. They're currently in the bottom division in uh, in Scottish football. Um, so I'll forgive you. What is you. the bottom division in Scottish football? So that's, well, that's League Two. There is also a Highland League and a Lowland League and an East of Scotland League, which you can fall into through a playoff. But None in of terms of the, <laughs> in terms <laughs> of, yeah, I mean, it, the Highland League is, is on the same level as, you know, Quidditch or something. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically I, I, had an idea that I was, there's not really that much exciting here, but I, I had an idea that I wanted to write about football for a job. And um, started doing some shifts for the local newspaper when I was a teenager. You would either go to Sterling Albion games on a Saturday or you would go to the shopping centre. So I would go to Sterling Albion games. That seemed a better thing to do with your time on a Saturday. Go to the football. Um, and then um, my first kind of paid gig, very, very, very strangely, was writing for NewYorkTimes.com, which um, Andrew Das, who you will know yeah. as on Twitter, the guy who forced MLS to publish their kickoff times. <laughs> God uh, bless him. God bless yep. Andrew Das. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I don't really have an explanation. I just emailed Andrew and said, look, <laughs> as uh, uh, the exuberance of youth not really knowing my place in the world just said, would you, would you let me write for NewYorkTimes.com? And he... Uh, he let me do that until they hired someone professional in Rory Smith, <laughs> who's a lot better than I. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and then um, I guess the, the next kind of big event in my professional life was I, I started working at Scottish TV in, in Glasgow, which is why I live here. Um, I no longer work there, but I met my, my wife, who was a, a newsreader there. And so, yeah, that's how I now live in Glasgow. So that's the, the short version. And is a newsreader the same thing as an anchor? 
Um, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah like right. the person who sits behind the desk and reads the headlines and 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 so on. Um, she's that not is, BBC, but yeah, that makes sense. STB. Yep. That's probably like common knowledge as well. Just to me for a minute, I was like, is that like a fact checker? So I'm, I'm, well, I'm glad I, I, I imagined it as like the person reading the teleprompter into the, yeah. into the anchor's ear, which is a totally unnecessary step for them. The anchor to have to repeat <laughs> what's being told to them in their ear instead of just reading it. So Taylor, I'm really glad you asked that question. <laughs> Graham, well, Graham, well, Graham, just to be clear, your wife can read, right? She doesn't need someone to tell her the news that she then repeats. Yeah. I mean, that would be a pretty big, uh, you know, absence of a skill for an, a television anchor if she, if she couldn't read I guess the auto cue, but um, yeah, <laughs> Grant, does she only read exactly what's on the prompter? <laughs> <laughs> well, like uh, like Anchorman, or uh, yeah. <laughs> has yeah. she ever been very rude about the city that she broadcasts in? I mean, I've, I've, we've not tested that yet, but I might get one of her colleagues to test that at some point, <laughs> just to see. Grant, what was what was your like? If you had one, what was your sort of first like? Oh wow, I'm covering like a big game or a big moment, or the first person you sort of interacted with that made you. Uh, realized that you had moved up a level. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I guess um, when I was at Scottish TV, you end up. So I would go to the the Celtic and Rangers uh, press conferences every single week on a Thursday or, or on a Friday. And in Scotland, Celtic and Rangers, as you, as some of the listeners might know, it, it's, it's difficult to stress just how much they dominate life here every single day. That there's some there's a talking point to do with Celtic and Rangers, and so I guess kind of getting on first name terms with. Well, initially it was Neil Lennon at, at Celtic and then Brendan Rodgers at, at Celtic. And, um, well, Rangers had a series of managers. I, I'm struggling to remember any of them, but kind of laterally Mark Warburton, who was at Rangers. I guess that's a little bit of, that was a little mm. bit of a, of a, of a, of a weird one. Or, or, or I guess, um, through my job in the local newspaper, I, I covered, um, Andy Murray because he's from my local area. And Andy Murray is my absolute hero to the point where if my, daughter had been my son his middle name was going to be andrew after andy murray so talking to andy murray at press conferences and stuff was a little bit of a uh yeah that was i was wow. a bit starstruck then i guess all right uh and the final thing for you for this part at least uh it's not a question i i, I had asked you to prepare for i did give our, our co-host a few ideas of what i'd be asking about so they weren't completely blindsided i don't want to necessarily get into like your specific age but i think a useful thing would be like what's a thing that you will likely use as a reference point when talking about soccer because i think i bounce around like we had a few people note that i used a temple grandin reference on a show recently uh i think i bounce around a little bit is there like a thing or two that you probably go to a tv show a movie or something like that when you are trying to draw comparisons or create analogies so something outside of of, of soccer, outside yeah. of football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, S- Simpsons is pretty much my yep. go-to reference right. for everything mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> in life, okay. not just soccer. Ryan Bailey nods approvingly, I'm assuming. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Simpsons are, um, I mean, it was slightly, actually kind of ever so slightly. I think the first one actually might have been out before I was born. I think the second and third one, Back to the Future, I was absolutely nuts about Back to the Future as a kid. Ooh, and still right. am. All right. Um, so yeah, I guess those I like are two it. reference points. There we go. Uh, my wife just watched Back to the Future for the first time and what? was okay with it, slash slightly underwhelmed until I pointed out. Um, do you all feel like that's the first one for time travel? Like, is that a big one for like the time travel genre and don't meet yeah. your, your parents and try not to make out with your mom, that sort of thing? <laughs> classic, you know, classic. <laughs> How has your wife gotten this far into her life without seeing Back to the Future? Goodness me, Taylor. 
I'm, it's a question. It, it, it's, it's a fair question, uh, especially since she's seen most of the Real Housewives uh, with some level of regularity. I feel like she's she's made time for those. She should make time for Marty McFly. Great, uh, Joe. What about you? I feel like like uh, Back to the Future might maybe uh, predates you a little bit. Uh, it, it does predate me. I still am aware of its important, its cultural significance and importance. Less so maybe today among current generations. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not about to disrespect Back to the Future, man. All right. I, w- I would hope not. But uh, Joe Lowry, for you, uh, how did you get into writing about soccer, covering soccer? I got into soccer in general from this exact show, which is still why I have to pinch myself a lot of the times when I'm I'm coming on to record an episode of this show. And really, I remember the really? first episode I that. that I hosted. Uh, I hosted Taylor when you were on paternity leave. I hosted with Jordan Angeli, who's my co-host on MLS Assist. And, and just that was kind of a surreal moment for me. It was comfortable because she and I had done lots of shows together, but still just this crazy nerve wracking thing to think that I'd, I'd been given that responsibility. So yeah, I mean, Taylor, this is, this is, this exact show is how I got interested in soccer in the first place. Listening to you and Daryl talk about soccer and the way that you guys do that influenced me. And I know a lot of other people out there and how we watch soccer and how we think about soccer. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's all you guys, Taylor. Dude, I, I don't think I knew that at all. And you definitely didn't convey that, like, you had any nervousness about hosting the show for the first time. You rolled with that, that was really well. I was like, I guess he's just got this. So he doesn't even need any uh, oversight or anything like that. So that's pretty cool to hear, man. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, of course. And it's it's so much fun. Like, I, I still am I, – I still do have to pinch myself that I get to do this. And I, I freelance – Basically, that's that's where I'm at right now. So I, I write and I, I do podcasts, and it's just it's so it's so fun that I get to do this for a living. And I know it is it is work, right? You do something so much, and that's what you're getting paid for. It, it is work, and so you lose a little bit of that joy. But I try so hard to not lose that joy because I recognize how 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 cool this is to to get to this. Graham sending an email to the editor of the yeah. an editor at the New York Times and getting to write about soccer, and then us getting to come on and talk about it, or or me getting to to write for the athletic or for, for wherever it's it's so cool man and i'm thankful that i get to do this dude well said well said thank you for that uh, and for you uh if you do have like a, a point of reference a thing that you would you would use when you're drawing analogies trying to explain a thing that happened <laughs> is there anything that jumps to mind this isn't just really... twilight all the twilight books for you oh gosh no <laughs> oh my goodness gracious ah <laughs> oh, i don't even know how to come back from that uh i think i think for me these these shows are so not tied to my generation because I know Taylor, you and Daryl did the All Parks and Rec eleven. Did you do an yeah. All like the Office eleven episode at one point? I can't remember. I don't think so. I don't think we did. Surprisingly, we've done Star Wars. We did Marvel. Yeah, we ran some other. Oh, we did Always Sunny. I think we did Always Sunny in there. <laughs> so for me, I guess it's it's Parks and Rec. I, I enjoy right. watching Parks and Rec and and Community. Like a lot of those NBC mm-hmm. sitcoms that aired from the the late two thousands, I guess, to the early twenty tens. That's that's my my comfort sometimes outside of soccer. Just what I'll do to pass the time from a hobby standpoint. So yeah, there'll be some of those references which I recognize are not unique in any way. And I feel like this is an important one to ask. Uh, where are you on your Simpsons knowledge? Because I think you are surrounded by three people who uh, have done their fair share of Simpsons viewing over the years. Yeah, I'm one of the characters name is Bart, right? Um, oh, no. Oh, that's, no. That's about they're yellow. Um, they have like weird pointy things on their heads or like their heads are pointy. That's I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Wow. All right. Sorry. All right. So Joe is aware that there's a character named Bart and they're yellow with pointy heads. Uh, Ryan, how do you feel about that one? Still reeling. I don't know if I can carry on. 
<laughs> it's their hair, Joe. The spiky stuff is their hair. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. But why is it? I never. I. I don't want to. I don't want to offend any of you guys or any other Simpsons fans out there. So, Taylor, uh, just start talking, and I'll stop talking, and we'll forget this all ever happened. I think the answer is the Tracy Ullman show didn't have money to pay animators who were uh, particularly adept when it came to animating. So you got what you can see from season one. <laughs> yes, you definitely can. <laughs> This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Uh, We know that you will reference some Simpsons. I'll ask you about further references later on. But for you, how how did you start covering soccer? Because again, like I think Graham has the journalism sort of background. Joe has the, I would say, analysis background. And then Ryan, I feel like you're the face, Ryan. That's what I'm saying. Vibes. My background's vibes. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're you're, you're the presenter, aren't you? You do the video component. Uh, Yeah, that's only, I'd say, a relatively recent part of my broadcast slash journalism career. So my first piece of published soccer journalism was in 2001 in the Wimbledon FC match day program. I wrote what turned out to be a two-page spread about my favorite game I've ever been to. And what, in 2001, I would have been 15 or so. Um, it was about a West Ham game at Upton Park where we were 3 0 down at half time and we won 4 3. And I said, I just like, while I was at school, I wrote this thing and it got published in the program. I got a taste for it that day, Tay Tay. Uh, so I went, uh, Carried, carried on with my life for a little while, went to college, and when I got out of college, I got an internship with PricewaterhouseCoopers in finance and um, assurance and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I was about to sign on a dotted line and become an accountant for the rest of my life. And my now wife was like, that's not what you want to do, is it? You want to do something else. You don't want to look yeah, at a spreadsheet man. for the rest of your life. And I attribute her, her, inter, you know, her intervention at that point to the way my career has gone. And I'm very grateful for it because I decided to go and do a journalism qualification, which I did. I did um, a postgraduate uh, qualification. Interestingly, uh, there were two professional soccer players in my class, in, in, um, in the class I did, which was in Wimbledon, um, which you'll probably hear more about as this episode goes on. Um, one of them was Simon Garner, who was uh, Blackburn's all-time top scorer before Ireland Shearer, and Kevin Betsy, who played for Wickham at the time, who's a lesser known name. But outside of that, I got my first proper paid writing gig, which was at the non-league paper, which is still going. It's obviously, uh, it does what it says on the tin. It's um, an, a weekly newspaper about non-league teams. So that was what I first did as in journalism, in writing match reports at very, very small stadiums where only a few hundred people would go, where you'd have no internet and it would be very stressful. 40 minutes, I think, no, it was less than 40 minutes after final whistle, you had to file your piece with the non-league paper. More often than did not, you have to you do would... it down the phone, Ryan? Yes, did exactly. You ever... that... you... wow. so I, did a few, I did a few like that uh, down the phone, which was a nightmare. Yeah, what, it, sorry, it, what is that? What does that mean so that down the phone? So that literally means, Joe, um, you've written your match report. There's no internet because... So you're reading like, it. 
it's the yeah, it's the late it's like, yeah. this is like see the job that you envisaged for my wife uh, as a newsreader <laughs> <laughs> that's the job yeah full circle <laughs> baby full circle you would try you would try and find some cell phone signal at this place in the middle of nowhere joe and then you try and down a crackly line to a landline in an office building both yeah. of which seem very archaic now um you, you'd uh, read your match report to the uh, to the sub editor who would put it onto the page of the newspaper so that's basically where i got my start off uh, i then went on and did a bunch of soccer journalism. I, I got a lot into um betting writing uh, in the in the years that followed um and yeah, I moved to the US in 2011, and that's when I sort of moved, Taylor, more into the broadcasting area. I, mm. I started working with MLS, with Major League Soccer. We launched uh, a YouTube channel called Kick TV, um, and that yeah. went on for a few years. And I actually forgot you did Kick stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, I was, I was, yeah, we, we sort of helped produce and start that channel. I was, on, I was on camera there for the first couple of years as well, basically until my first daughter was born, and I didn't want to schlep to New York every, uh, every week for three or four days a week. Um, and yeah. That that's brought me Taylor to this very moment, talking to you right now, and it's an honor and a privilege. What? Well, right back at you. First of all, second of all, what what were your like sort of favorite segments to do when it came to Kick TV? Um, anything with Jimmy, Jimmy Comrade, was a lot of fun because he's he's a obviously a very fun character and he's got a lot of energy. I think it's good. I I used to do. Um, a show called The Kickback, where it was basically, um, I'd looked at weird and wonderful moments of the game. I used to really enjoy writing that because I'd just go absolutely bonkers with the puns and stuff like that, which is, which is, as you know me, I like to do that kind of thing. But um, that, that got me into the broadcast side of things, I'd say. I was very much just a soccer writer up to that point. And then I figured out, oh, I could actually put a studio in my house and I can do a podcast studio and I can uh, do, do all these kind of things. And I, I really enjoy doing the on-camera stuff, probably more than the writing, I would say, as well. And uh, the same goes for the podcasting, actually. Uh, yeah, I definitely enjoy the podcasting more than the writing, because the writing requires sitting down and finding structure, not just being able to ramble on and on, <laughs> like I'm doing right now. Uh, that, that does then like lead me to, like, like I asked Ryan this a little bit, Ryan, I'll ask you more about it uh, in a bit, but for Graham, for you, like, what are the types of stories, what are the types of things that you would like to do with soccer, or you wanted to do with soccer? What got you interested in in, in sort of in sort of doing it or how would you like that to evolve? Because I think for me, I started out writing and just realized like I don't have, there are people who can churn out, like I shouldn't even say churn, but can just create content with the regularity that's required to put out articles every single day or put out news pieces every single day. And I, I don't have that diligence. And I also kind of didn't want to write those match reports, didn't want to like do it that way. So podcasting made a lot of sense for me. For you, like what are the types of stories? What are the areas that you find most interesting that you would like to cover, talk more about, read more about, whatever it might be? Yeah, so I, I, I initially, when I came out of university, I went down the, the very traditional route of, of doing the whole match report and uh, press conference sort of routine. And look, some people really enjoy that. For me, it was, it was a little bit monotonous. And, and so I, I moved much more into feature writing and, and um, interviews, although I don't, I don't tend to do many interviews now, but analysis and that sort of thing. And, and that's kind of where I have found my, my sweet spot is, is sort of opinion and, and, and features. I've been doing that for a number of years now. And I, I do think one of my, um, I mean, if you want to call it churning out articles, like that's, that's kind of how I would describe one of, like, one of my, what, like what I do. And I'm quite good at that. I can get through like quite mm -hmm. a number of articles in, in a day. No, it's a skill. Man. Um, it's a skill. So yeah, that's, that's, but most, most recently I've actually launched a, like a, a fantasy football company. 
And so that's the kind of th- one of the things that is that going forward the next few years, that's kind of where I want to explore a little bit more is, is sort of the gamification of, of soccer a little bit more. I know that's that's quite different from the journalism path, but that's we launched our first product for Scottish football last summer and we've we've got um, 60,000 users and and sponsors and so on. What? So I, I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm Hopefully, uh, that's going to be growing, and we're launching more products and so on this year and next year. So, yeah, that's that's what a lot of my focus is going into at the moment. Starting to feel like I'm maybe not a very good friend because you've been doing this show for like <laughs> at least eight months, and I don't think I knew that. What's the name of the company? Um, so the, the company name is Fancy Monster, and our first product was Fancy Football Scotland. Just purely from the fact that I played the Premier League one, and I knew loads of people who did play the Premier League one in Scotland who were Scottish football fans. And there wasn't a Scottish fantasy football. Um, so that felt like a pretty open goal to me. So, um, hey, hey, Graham, yeah. Graham, buy an ad slot. <laughs> <laughs> that did sound a little bit like an ad, I have to say. I'll close it up. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I spend quite a bit of my time doing at the moment. So with with the structure of fantasy, like not surprisingly, as a person who's not good at sort of creating that regular content or writing out that regular content, I am also the type of fantasy player who does probably forgets to set the light up the first week, remembers for the second and third week, and then never does it again for the rest of the season. (laughs) Like, Do you think that there is a correlation between your ability to sort of create that content and also track fantasy, or is it more of the, the daily variety? Um, I think, I think a little bit of both, but maybe the, 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 the former you mentioned there, I think there's a correlation between, um, what, like, I think I've, in a way, my the way I was able to churn out content so regularly has sort of trained me for the fantasy side of things where like you can't as as when you run it you can't really give it up after four weeks <laughs> um so yeah that's huh. that maybe that's a good grounding that, that that I've come into there how how much do like stats analytics play a part in in the fantasy side of things oh huge so we we've got a partnership with opta who um we feed we we feed their feed directly into the into the game but yeah there's there's a huge desire for we we launched a whole new kind of stat center in the app at, around christmas time um and yeah that's there's a huge correlation between the two joe are are you just like rubbing your hands together over there I'm just I'm just excited for when Graham is our soccer overlord and controlling everything because I think that's now what we're what we're headed towards. <laughs> I don't know if I, you should yeah. be that excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be all right with it. But Graham, does that mean that you are you like when you're watching soccer, are you interested in like how players are valued? Are you interested in those kind of big performers who tend to get the fantasy results? Like d- does the way you think about fantasy impact the way you think about football? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and, and that's maybe not a good thing. So when we were talking about, when I was talking with some friends about this, the Scottish player of the year, I just thought it was an absolute stick on that everyone would think it was James Tavernier in Scotland who had an unbelievable fancy season. He finished with 300 points, which I think was not quite double, but almost double what the second placed player got. And yet was, was shocked to find that other people thought other people should, uh, other players should be the player of the year in Scotland. So yes, maybe, maybe I need to, to tone that down a little bit and, and move away from the, the, the fantasy prism that is, uh, that I view things from now. Did you get teased for that at all? Like, was there a, like, like, whatever nerd, you don't know, or what, were people okay with your, your fantasy approach? No, they were okay with it. He has, uh, a, he has had a good season, but I was, I was utterly shocked that there was even a debate. And I guess that, uh, comes from my experience with the fantasy app. 
Joe, how much of that resonates for you? Because I feel like you have a similar analytical approach sometimes to evaluating players and performances. Yeah, some of that definitely definitely resonates with me. I, I'm inclined to look at some of the underlying numbers, expected goals, expected assists, diving into the stats. American Soccer Analysis is a phenomenal website for finding American soccer analysis. But I'm, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't feel good about that hey, one at all. Right, I got this one. Joe, pay for an ad slot. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of the first places I started writing. Um, and so I'm inclined to, to look into the numbers a little bit more, I think, than most. And that can result in me finding some things that, that you wouldn't necessarily notice if you're just watching the games. And sometimes it's whatever nerd. I think I've gotten that on this show in a joking, loving way. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's part of it. You accept that when you start diving into the, into the stats and into the data. You accept that. Has it reached the point for you where it's sort of like if a person makes fun of XG or sort of misinterprets XG, are, are you past the like, oh, I want to explain it. I want people to get this. And are you more just like, eh, whatever. You, like, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't need to engage with you. Well, it depends on the person's attitude, right? And how they present that. Because if it's, if it's not a malicious or I mean, if they're just deliberately tossing stats aside, I'm not likely to try to convert them. But if, if it's a misinterpretation that comes, from a genuine mistake. Yeah. Like if they're interested in having that conversation, I'd love to, to get into some of those things. And there's still so much that I don't know and don't understand. So I'm learning just along with everybody else on this thing. So yeah, it depends on, on the person and I guess their attitude towards that whole thing. How does that factor into the way you cover games? So we've got like Turkey, Italy, the first game of the Euros coming up. Like, are you going to consult uh, stats sites? Are you going to try to find those sort of advanced stats to inform your analysis? Or do you, like, which comes first? Do you come up with your, like, perspective on the game and what you thought you saw? And then do you look at the, the, the stats and the data? Or do you do it the opposite and sort of look at that to figure out what happened to the game more comprehensively? So if I'm watching that first game on Friday, if I'm watching the Champions League final, either way, whatever, whatever game I'm able to solely de- devote my attention to, I'll watch the first half, I'll take a bunch of notes, and then during halftime I'll poke around and find the stats and, and write some things down, because I think it gives me a good idea of, of how the game went, and if there's something that sticks out to me that I didn't notice or I, I thought would be different, I'll make note of that, and then I'll watch the second half and look at the stats after the game. So they kind of, for me, they go hand in hand with, with what I've seen. I can either back it up with the numbers, or or maybe there's something that's gone horribly wrong with how I've watched the game and I can switch and, and look into why what I saw isn't reflected in the numbers. So if I'm able to devote my, my full attention to one game, that's how I'll do it. If it's, if it's Major League Soccer where there are 13 games a week and there's, well, 13 games a weekend and there's just way too many teams in that league, then at a certain point you start to use the stats to give you things to look for in that team, uh, because I can't watch however many hours of soccer that would be a weekend and, and write about it and talk about it. Like there's just not enough time of the day for that. And a question for Joe, but I'd also like to hear uh, what Ryan and Graham have to say is like, what are your, this is a weird one, but it resonates for me. What do your like notes look like? How do you take notes for a game? Are you writing down like basic ideas? Do you take down like what happened in the 13th minute versus the 15th minute, which is kind of what I do. Like, like how do you go about watching a game and keeping track of what happened in that game? So I just pulled up my U.S. Mexico notes from Sunday night and I have a bunch of, of like post game thoughts at the top that I scribbled after. This is on my computer, so I didn't really scribble, but mm. then I have the U.S. section and I'll do lineup. I'll do tactics, which are, are the bigger things I noticed. Then I'll do specific play notes and then player notes and then stats at the bottom. And then I'll do the same for the other team. 
Um, the U.S. section is huh. a lot longer than the Mexico section. But that's my general procedure. Then I'll go back through after, and, and that's where the things at the top come in. Other major themes that I noticed are things I want to make sure to talk about when we talk about it on the show. But that's my process, Taylor. And for you, Ryan, are you just picturing uh, the Homer Simpson screaming at uh, the college students nerds right now when, when Joe and I have this conversation? Yeah, when, I, when I'm, yeah, when I'm uh, looking to take notes, it's just the Homer Simpson thought bubble with the cow playing the fiddle. That's all I've got going on. I, um, I, my my note-taking process is, is quite similar, Taylor, to the way I was trained to do it because in, in, in sports journalism, in newspaper journalism, um, you write the middle section of the report, match report, then you write the uh, the top and the bottom, and you and quite often you have to send the middle section in, like the, the the meat of the action, what happened. So quite similar to you, Taylor, I'll write down this happened in the 18th minute, this happened in the 32nd minute, but then I'll pepper that around that the notes about each team, and I'll have almost almost like an Arlo White sort of, uh, you know, he does those very pretty looking boards where he has notes about mm-hmm. each player, mm-hmm. and I sort of build it out from a skeleton of those key moments, and then at the top I'll fill in the headline notes at the end, like like you put a headline uh, on on a newspaper piece. That's kind of my process, I would say. And and what is your sort of like your area of interest? So Graham talked about fantasy a little bit. Yeah. Joe got into the stats and the analytics. Like, what are you paying attention to most often? I think it depends on the objective because I've got quite a, a, a broad scope of things I write about soccer for. Like Graham, I do a lot of fantasy work. So then you're looking you're looking quite in depth into the stats and you're looking at um, areas you wouldn't look at, for example, if you're if you're doing a you know. A, a long form piece. I've written. I used to be a, a columnist for the Athletic, and I wouldn't write. I wouldn't go heavy on the stats on that kind of thing, for example. And one of the areas I have uh, leaned a lot on is sports betting uh, and betting focused editorial. So then I'm really looking not even at game statistics and player statistics, but patterns. I'm really fascinated by the patterns and the probabilities and head to heads and that kind of stuff. So I'm re- I'm really interested in numbers, maybe in slightly different or, or more nuanced ways, if that makes sense. It does. And it, it begs a question that I will ask you all like generally now, and then we can come back to you later on, but I'll give you some time to think about it. Uh, cause again, it's not one that I had really prepared for, but hearing what you all are interested in and the sort of things that you like to talk about, the things you like to cover, I'd also be interested if there are things that you would like to do on the show that we don't do. Like, do you want to have a fantasy corner? Do you want to talk a little bit more about some of the betting odds? Historically, we've shied away from talking about gambling, but. I, I want it to kind of reflect what you all are into. So maybe that'll be the last question. Is like, is there anything that you would like to focus on or sort of try to cover a little bit more, or just experiment with during the Euros? But uh, until we get to that, uh, uh, Ryan, I don't think I asked you yet what your sort of cultural reference points might be or your touchstones when it comes to drawing comparisons, making analogies. It's all the Simpsons. That's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I figured. Then I'll Futurama's go back to Graham. has got to be in there as well, surely. Oh, yeah, any Matt Groening project uh, yeah, gets, gets my nod, yes, basically. But a, a, Apart a lot from of... that weird Netflix one that you did. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Wasn't as good. Yeah. No, it was not. I forgot about that one as we all sit in silence. I forgot the point. Was it called like Enchanted or something? Yeah, Enchanting, I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, Graham, you talked a little bit about Sterling Albion earlier uh, for like people who would like to know more about your club loyalties. Obviously you've got the, the Scotland loyalty, but who are the, like the teams you support or the club you support, or maybe even like the favorite player uh, historically or currently just so people get an idea of your rooting interests and what you tend to, uh, to watch support cheer for that sort of thing. Cause I do feel like you've been to like every Scotland game is now what I'm picturing based on <laughs> that. I sent two different clips of two different games and I think both of them, you were like, Oh yeah, I was there. So now I'm yeah. assuming you're at every single game. So, well, not, not quite. I'm, I'm a bit of a laps fan. I, I, I used to be a Tartan Army member, um, and I went to every home game for about five or six years. And I actually remember the, the, the specific game and uh, date that I kind of gave up on going to, to Scotland games as a fan. Um, there is a reason I remember this date. So another Andy Murray reference. Andy Murray won his first Grand Slam on my 21st birthday, uh, which is the 10th of September 2012. And the next day, Scotland were playing Macedonia uh, in a World Cup qualifier. And so I'd been up basically the whole night uh, kind of celebrating Andy Murray. Was feeling a little bit worse for wear by the time I got to Hamden. And Scotland drew, I think, one all at home against Macedonia. And it was just a dreadful, dreadful game. And I just went, yeah, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm not coming to these games anymore. So that's why, I, I like, today my um, my Scotland uh, shirt arrived with the kind of Euros patches on it and I tweeted out uh, something along the lines of my bandwagon has arrived and that that is like I am a Laps fan and that's why I say like it's a little bit of an act that I put on that you know I'm this massive Scotland fan obviously I still I'll be supporting Scotland at these Euros but I have jumped on the bandwagon a little bit but in terms of teams that I, I support or I mean really Sterling Albion's the only one I've always had a, a soft spot strangely for the the Cosmos um, and I went out to a game at Hofstra um, mm. when they were when they were playing there a number of years ago, 2013 or 14, I think it was. I still actually have the media access band that they gave me uh, on my wrist. It's been on my wrist for really eight years. <laughs> Is it like microchipped? Is it all fancy like? <laughs> no, it's it's a ca- like a canvas ah. band, and it's very frayed. You can barely <laughs> tell that it's the cosmos, but it is it is it is the cosmos. Um, I guess I do kind of in each country I do tend to have a like a team that I I wouldn't say I'm a fan of or even that I I root for mm-hmm. but like I gravitate towards so they tend to be clubs that are really rooted in I guess working class community so I like the one that springs to mind is like Marseille I've always had mm-hmm. a soft spot for Marseille in French football um and so I I guess I kind of that informs a lot of the teams that I one maybe an exception to that is in just is, would maybe be Real Madrid again I, w- I wouldn't say I'm a fan or even that I I root for them but when I was growing up in the early 2000s which were very much my formative years as, as, as a soccer fan they were much so much more alluring than Barcelona and so I, I guess in that in that kind of oasis versus blur football debate they were always the one that I that I gravitated towards just because they had the Galacticos the first Galacticos era at that time and, and it was a bit of a bucket list thing for me to go to the Bernabeu for a classical and I did I did that a few years ago so yeah I've, I only really have one team that I would say I support but um, I do have soft spots for a few teams what's your favorite stadium you've been in for a game uh 
probably yeah probably the burnabout actually I, I mean i know it's getting re i know it's getting redeveloped now but it's 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 so i've been to the camp now as well and i wasn't very impressed with with the camp now to be honest um it felt really far away from the pitch and the Bernabeu is so much, it's like the, the, the four tiers of the stand are right on top of the pitch. Um, and that's, it's probably one of my, one of the, my favorite yeah. stadiums I've been to. I, I talk about Marseille again, the, the velodrome's always, I, I've not been to, to the velodrome yet. And I was supposed to be going for Euro 2016 actually, but that didn't happen. But, um, that's one of my, my bucket list, my stadium bucket list. And my final question for you when it comes to your, your, your loyalties, your rooting interests with the, the current Scotland heading into the Euros, if, if in a back to the future slash Bill and Ted's sort of situation, you were able to bring one Scottish player from history into this team to play, who are you bringing in? Not even necessarily like who do they need, but who would you like to see in this team? Uh, that is a difficult one. I'm going to go with someone. I mean, I can only really go with my own frame of reference, but I'm going to go with uh, Darren Fletcher because it felt like Darren Fletcher was, he could have quite easily zoned out of playing for Scotland because at that time, Scotland were really, really bad. And he was really only the, the, the only top tier player that we had at that time. And he always turned up, you know, how a lot of the time with internationals, you get players who pull out of friendlies because they can't really be bothered. It tends to be the, the players who play for the bigger, more illustrious clubs. Darren Fletcher never did that. And so it makes me a little bit sad that we finally got to a tournament and he's, it's after his, his time. So I would bring him back. I think he would actually kind of improve our um, midfield as well. Graham, I, I, I'd just like to jump in and apologise if Archie Gamble is listening to this podcast that you chose Darren Fletcher over him. D- did I dare say my unpopular opinion about Archie Gamble's goal Uh-oh. against the Netherlands? Uh-oh. It's not that good. <laughs> <sighs> Trainspotting has led me to believe that it's the end all be all of Scottish football. You're, you're saying that you and McGregor lied to me? That Renton lied to me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the only lion train spotting from uh, Ian McGregor <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> in that film. Yeah, um, th- look, it's a good goal, and it's and it's very much considered the greatest Scottish goal of all time, and that's why I say it's an unpopular opinion. But it's not it's not the best Scottish goal. I preferred James McFadden's against France a few years ago. Thought that was a better goal. I'm gonna have to go look that one up, and and then I will probably agree with you because I don't really have that much. Uh, vested interest in Archie Gamble's goal. I, I do have like a, a weird idea in my mind that Darren Fletcher and Scott McTominay are somehow related. I think <laughs> it's the pale, tall lankiness. Uh, so I'm just going to say that Darren Fletcher is Scott McTominay's uncle. And if Scott McTominay does well at the Euros, then Darren Fletcher benefits. Yeah, I definitely get that sense as well. It's also kind of the, the teacher's pet at Manchester United element as well. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. Um, All right, but, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, Joe. For you, who would you like to add? To- no, I won't ask you about the Scotland <laughs> team. I will instead ask where your uh, rooting interests lie. It's hard, man, because here in Phoenix, which is which is where I live, we didn't have a professional soccer team really, or, or certainly not one that was run in a professional way until very recently. There was Arizona United, and then that rebranded, and, and Didier Drogba came in, and it's a ridiculous story that's been written about, and and I've had a chance to write about it a little bit as well. But Didier Drogba comes in and the ownership group rebrands. And so then it becomes Phoenix Rising, which has been this real powerhouse in, in USL, in the USL championship, which is the second division here in the United States. But I mean, that wasn't around until, until much later. And so I actually spent more time covering that team than I did rooting for them and kind of the same with the US national team because I, I am, I am most emotionally invested in the U.S. men's national team. And it's it's a little bit of an awkward relationship because, Taylor, you and I spend so much time talking about it and I spend time writing about it. And so it's not this traditional fandom by any stretch. But 
I think I enjoy watching those U.S. games the most. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I am with you on that one, and that's about where I'm with my fandom lately. It hasn't been helped by Manchester United in the Super League and DC United being DC United. The Richmond Kickers <laughs> remain uh, the nearest and dearest to my heart. Uh, for, I think I was pulled in when they won the Open Cup in 1995, and then when they had Dwayne Di Rosario and Onandi Lowe knocking in goals for them with an insane regularity. I know Onandi Lowe is not a name that anybody <laughs> is going to get, but uh, that's a player who played 65 times for Jamaica and scored like 30 goals in those 65 appearances. So a very good goal scorer playing for a team that are, I think, now in the third division of the soccer pyramid here in the U.S. Uh, yeah, I, the Richmond Kickers are the ones that I always I always sort of cont- continuously check on, continues to go back to, and then the U.S. national team after that. Ryan, are there teams that you like? I forget. I've got one. Just one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even going to make a joke here. I'm just going to leave it open. Phoenix Rising, of course. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my, t- my team, and it always has been my team, is Wimbledon, who are now AFC Wimbledon, of course. It's, uh, it's, I've got this inextricable link between my team and my family. I, think, I feel like Wimbledon is almost the glue that held my family together and still does in many ways. Uh, when my dad was around, it was basically the only thing we would ever talk about. It's basically the most important thing in our house, and I think that's true for a lot of British people as well. Um, my dad started going to see Wimbledon when he was very small. He started taking myself and my brother. Um, my first game that I remember going to was September 1994, and I had to look it up. It was against Leicester. It was a 2-1 win for Wimbledon at Selhurst Park, which is where Crystal Palace play. Uh, that's where I had my Premier League season ticket for many years uh, before lots of unpleasantness um, took, <laughs> took Wimbledon away. Um, but but I, I mostly associate that with you know being with my family, being with my brother and my dad, going on a Saturday in the car to watch soccer. And that's, that's like really special we we were lucky enough that one of the players who moved to Wimbledon in the late 90s was a guy called Andy Roberts who was a family friend of ours he used to give us his away tickets because all the players got an allocation so we got to go to most away games as well so that was that was really really cool and I'll say I, I've been to two Champions League finals I've been to the World Cup I've been to the Olympics I've done, been been close to all these very big significant moments in soccer but I still don't think anything is as special as going in the car with my family to watch Wimbledon when I was younger. I'm getting a bit emotional. I apologize for that. But I had this weird period in my life when I fell out of love with the game as well. When Wimbledon, if you don't know the story, they were basically franchised and moved away to a city called Milton Keynes. And it was a very, very painful period. Every game leading up to that was protests and it it had a big impact on myself, my family and everyone in the Wimbledon community. And I went away to college. I went away to university and I I just, I, I, I stopped liking soccer for, for maybe Two years, I didn't even watch Match of the Day, which for an English person was a really weird thing. I, was, I, I played, but I just, I just I felt too hurt by the whole situation. So it took me a while to get back into soccer. And I did, and, and very much went into it professionally uh, shortly after university as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably being way too mushy and emotional. But my team is AFC Wimbledon now, Tete. And I'm a, I'm a part owner of the club. It's a fan-owned club, as is my brother as well. Um, one weird thing I'll bring up at this point, as we are on the precipice of the Euros. I've been to a lot of games in my life and I've covered a lot of games. I've never been to an England game. I was uh, not really an England fan growing up as well because I always had this weird thing where my team is Wimbledon and I had all these teams coming to visit my team week in and week out and they had England players on the opposition team. So I'm supposed to boo him then 
And then when he puts on a different colour shirt, I'm supposed to cheer him. That never quite mm-hmm. reconciled in my mind. And I always associated England fandom and national fandom with, with that certain brand of nationalism, a certain brand of uh, British person who would you know, not be the most pleasant person to hang around with, shall we say. Uh, I think my love for the England team has grown a lot more since I left England. And sort of it's become part of my identity as, yeah, I am English and I've become a bit more proud of it with distance, which I think is quite odd. Yeah, I mean, but I I think also if you're like in the midst of it all the time, it becomes your norm and then your norm is maybe the norm instead of the thing that you enjoy. If you're like having to cover soccer 19 hours a day, it ceases to be that fun thing until you can kind of find find the thing that sparks joy Mm. to uh, go with Marie Kondo's approach Uh, (laughs) for uh, you, Ryan, you live in the States, obviously, so maybe less so, but for Graham as well, is it is it strange to talk about football slash soccer with Americans? Because we have definitely talked to people. I won't speak for Joe. I'll speak for myself and just say that I have talked to people on the show and, and just in regular life who uh, live in England or are from England, and there does tend to be a little bit of like, now, do you know who, like, Paul Gascoigne is? Right. Do you know what, what football is? Like, and, and there are occasionally those moments where it's like, oh, you guys, it must be sort of strange to be talking to an American soccer audience. I think it's, it, it is strange in some ways, Taylor. And with, with all due respect, I think it's because there's not this base knowledge, maybe of the European game in particular, that everyone I know grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, it wasn't broadcast yet. And you, you didn't watch it. It wasn't, it didn't permeate by osmosis into you like it does to most Europeans. And that's perfectly understandable. And, and I, I will say the, the knowledge base of American fans is not to be underestimated, particularly in, in the last few years as, as it's become easier to watch games as well. But I, I equate it, Taylor, to NFL. I got really, really into the NFL when I moved here. And I could tell you anything about most of the teams. I play fantasy religiously. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't tell you about what happened in the 90s in the NFL because I wasn't there. I didn't know anything about it. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes that, a lot of sense because that is about where I am. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's the same with me. So my experience would be the NBA. Um, I watch a lot of NBA basketball, but I, I feel like so when I watched the Last Dance, for example, a lot of that was new to me. I didn't, and obviously, I knew who Michael Jordan was. I knew who you know Scottie Pippen was. I knew who all these people were. But the stories around them, um, like the flu game, for example, I didn't that didn't that I hadn't heard about that before. Despite the fact I would say I am a basketball fan, so um, I think it's similar to Ryan. Then in terms of in terms of talking to Americans and North Americans now about soccer of the of the last, you know, 10, 15 years, I, I, I don't think that's strange at all because you guys have better coverage than we do in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have all the games live and so on. So there's 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 absolutely, I don't find that strange at all. And, and I assume that American fans have, you know, the, as, as much knowledge, if not more than, than I do or any British fans. But I, as same as Ryan, I don't know how much of that kind of, historical basis there just yeah. because of maybe the lack of coverage that that was that was in um, the, the, the country at that can time. I, you've just reminded me something Greg. i've got to, this is this is apropos of nothing but it, maybe it, it speaks to my lack of knowledge of uh u.s sports going back past when i lived here i found out this week that alan iverson lives in my neighborhood like down the street uh, <laughs> and i found out because he, he how nice is your neighborhood yeah right <laughs> it's quite it's, it's okay he's he's he's, a, he's like two streets over um and he he um he goes to drink in the supermarket there's a harris teeter supermarket he drinks in the bar there like all the time like right by my house and i only found I out this so week much. and he's i've lived here for hold on there's a bar in the supermarket oh my gosh so the the, 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 the supermarket has an actual bar in it like fully stocked yeah. loads of craft beers and everything people get drinks and they put them in the shopping cart and they go and mm-hmm. fill it with unnecessary stuff it's a great marketing gimmick for them 
<laughs> Ryan, Ryan, don't let Allen Iverson step over you. Just be careful not to fall down or lay down in his area, or he will viciously step over you like he did to Tyron Lue, which I'm just now realizing maybe no one in this conversation got that <laughs> reference. So hopefully someone out there did. Um, anyway, <laughs> Simpsons, no, am I right? Joe, actually, that that kind of gets to the question I was going to ask you is like, is there a thing? Because I think, Graham and Ryan, you make – the very valid point that like I can read about what happened in the 90s or the 80s, or the 70s, and I can like watch documentaries. But there is it, – it's the same thing as like watching videos on how to fix the thing on YouTube or reading a book about it versus having somebody show you about it. Experiencing it is always going to make it resonate more and be more connective. So with that in mind, Joe, is there a thing that you feel like you are like more steeped in? Is it is it basketball? It sounds like it might be basketball. I was a crazy avid NFL watcher and and mock draft maker and all these things growing up as a kid. So that's that's a big one for me. I just don't I don't really watch it anymore. I don't have the time or I don't have the desire, maybe a little bit of both. Basketball has been a constant theme pretty much for me. I played basketball growing up, not very good at it, but I played uh I was a big University of Arizona fan growing up as well cuz that's where most of my family uh went to school. And then now, I have been a Suns fan throughout all of their their poor seasons here, but now they're making a run in the Western Conference playoffs, and it's been incredible to watch Phoenix fans actually care about it and be able to go and support this team. So yeah, I'm a a big basketball guy, and it's even more fun to be a big basketball guy for me right now. My favorite band, Jimmy Eat World, played at one of the Phoenix Suns games this week. That would have been special. Ryan, you and I are basically just the same person. Common thread right there, baby. Uh, yeah. And this is where I say that my biggest like connection to Arizona basketball would be when Sandra Bullock was wearing their shirt in the movie Speed, and that's how Dennis Hopper <laughs> called her uh, Wildcat. The uh, whole movie. Taylor, I think it was called so the bus right. that couldn't slow down. <laughs> I apologize. That's uh, definitely how they pitched the second one. Well, probably high on cocaine. It's like now they're on a boat, <laughs> and there we go. Greenlit. Why not? Uh, we've gone very long. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, gentlemen. Uh, we do have several more questions. We can get to those over the course of the tournament. I think uh, I will leave it to you. Uh, to do, And I do want to uh, end with this segment on like if there's anything you all would like to add or focus on in our coverage. But first, you can answer either of these, Graham. Uh, either your favorite thing or things that you've been watching, consuming uh, TV-wise, movie-wise in the last 6 to 12 months, or... Your first uh, soccer memory when you knew the sport was for you, the thing that you wanted to kind of uh, keep in your life and stick with. Okay, so I'm going to go with the non-soccer one because I feel right. like my uh, first memory might come up in the in over the course of the tournament because All it's right. kind of linked to that. So and you're very um, young. when Archie Gemmell like punched you, and that's why you have this this. <laughs> yeah, it was Archie him. Gemmell from one side and Zlatan Ibrahimovic there from the other side, and. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of in terms of non-soccer, because that's that's probably not going to come up again. I, um, this might be recency bias, but I've I've already um, praised it to you guys in in the group chat. But I thought Bo Burnham's latest Netflix special was one of the most creative things I've ever seen in my life. And I wouldn't consider, you know, that meme with football fans where it's like not a fan of Club X, but this is class. Clap emoji. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit w- like me with Bo Burnham. I didn't, I, I didn't think he had something as creative as that in him. Uh, also loved uh, Soul, the, the the Pixar film. Oh, yeah. I loved the soundtrack yes. by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Thought that really added something to it. Music wise, the new Mogwai album was one of my favorites of, of, or has been one of my favorites of this year. And the worst thing I've seen this year was the Friends reunion. 
<laughs> no Colton fan, huh? Um, well, no, actually, but that wasn't the worst thing <laughs> about it. <laughs> so I said about the Bo, Bur- Bo Burnham thing that it was so creative. I just thought the Friends thing was really... I, don't, I actually don't have anything against Friends. It's just I thought it was really um, quite... I Graham, lazy. Graham Justin Bieber was wearing an armadillo costume. What's not creative about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no one's worked out why he was why he was even invited, uh, to be honest. What, what Was it just a, like them getting together to talk about the show? Did they actually do an episode? Like What was no, the, uh, so, the approach there? So I was under the impression until about uh, two hours before I watched it that it was an, ep- that it was an, an extra episode, but it was yeah. essentially just um, like a chat show, like, a, like James Corden on a, on a sofa, like very much the Graham Norton style of, of like all of them on, all, all together chatting. And they did, they did have kind of like script reads and they did walk around the sets. And th- those were the best bits when they just left them to walk around the, the set. But it was, it was strange and not very good. And all of their faces are now very strange and weird. <laughs> Is that called getting old? Sorry? Is that called getting old, Graham? Yeah, so I bet. My face gets weird. Yeah. I mean that and ingest- injecting a bunch of stuff into your yeah. Face I was going to say that. Yeah. So Matt, mm-hmm. Matt LeBlanc, he is he's got old and was he? That's he's fine. Uh, uh, the other ones have done some strange things. <laughs> there appears. Uh, Graham, there's a name that you mentioned there, and I'm just going to leave this out there. And if it's three seconds of silence and then we move on, so be it. Uh, the name I would like to 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 mention to Graham and Ryan is James Corden. I like him. I think Kevin and Stacey is one of the best TV shows that, that's ever been made. All right. That doesn't seem to be the most popular opinion I know uh, that, in um, Britain. People are, are rubbed up by his personality. I know uh, people, personally, I know people who've uh, been in his company have not enjoyed it, shall we say. Uh, and there are ah. a lot of stories like that. But I find him fine. And Graham stays silent. Good to know. All right. Uh, <laughs> Joe, uh, what about you? Either uh, thing or things you've been enjoying over the last six to 12 months, or what's the thing that got you into soccer that made you want to stick with it? Uh, okay, I'm going to do both quick, because uh, the thing I've like, been enjoying, it's not a TV show, it's a podcast I've been listening to. It's called Home Cooking, and it's just, it, it was started during quarantine by just two lovely, two lovely folks. And they were talking about how to make the most of that time during the, the early stages of the pandemic. And then they kept it going and it, it, it's kind of dropped off now, but I'm just now catching up and that's been awesome. I, Taylor, you and I have talked about bread a lot on this mm. podcast and that for me, bread and cooking have become real joys for me and real sources of joy over the last year and a half or so. So that's one thing that I've been really enjoying to consume media wise. And then the moment where I, I knew soccer was for me, I guess, if that's an appropriate way to rephrase the question. This is not a a traditional answer to this question, but the first, I think it's the first soccer game I ever covered in person was the 2019 January camp game between the US men's national team and Berhalter's first ever, ever game against Panama here in Phoenix is at the, it was then called University of Phoenix Stadium, but it's changed now. And I was there and I, I'd never done that before. I'd never seen all these big media people before. And so it was, it was a little bit daunting for me. And I'm getting settled in before the game. And, and one guy I've never seen before comes over and talks to me. And he, he was writing for Kicker, I think. That, that's a thing, right? In Germany, mm-hmm. especially. Um, and he asks, oh, you know, what do you cover? And I tell him, well, I'm here to write about the tactics of this game because that's, that's what I do. And he went on this five-minute tangent monologue about how people who never played soccer professionally shouldn't write about tactics and how I didn't know anything. And and that for me, I wasn't discouraged by that. I just kind of knew immediately, wow, this guy 
doesn't really know what he's talking about. Like I, I can do this, and I know so many coaches out there that that have done this, that have not played at a high level, but are coaching ridiculously quality teams at, at a professional level. And so that for me was almost a challenge. That I, I took it as a challenge to continue to learn more and get deeper and deeper involved in soccer. So that's not really a I fell in love watching my childhood team play kind of thing. That's that's even better probably, but. That that childhood team thing is even better, but it, it is my own personal version of that, I guess. Um, what, what, do you know this person's name? Do you remember who I it was? I Are can't you just remember. Being classy? I, I, no, I I don't remember. Even if I did, I I wouldn't Shame be super them. keen to to share it. But yeah, it it was a weird interaction, like a really genuinely strange interaction that I I guess motivated me a little bit, and that's it's worn off at this point now. I just love it, but it, it did help me motivate. It it did help motivate me at that time. There's like a 10% chance it was Manuel Vaith, I feel like. <laughs> it was not. It was not. I know okay. that. All right. All right. It's, a, it's a real straw man argument, though, isn't it? If I'm going to write about Formula 1, do I have to have driven a supercar at 200 miles right. an hour? It's right. Not- and there are things that I can't understand or that I don't understand because I haven't been around a professional team or haven't played. There are skills that people out there that have played, they have that I don't have. And I recognize that. And I'm always at a disadvantage. We're all at a disadvantage for not having played when we talk about this game, but we have a different perspective. And I think that perspective is still valuable. Yeah, Joe, that's where that's where I am with it is that like, I do think if you have an, and I'm not saying you do, but if there is a complete reliance on stats and here's what happened, I do think like if you haven't, if people haven't played soccer before, not even like at a competitive level, but there are just certain things that if you're playing at amateur level, you know, like oh, this like like I I know when like the defender is getting close enough to me that I can feel that pressure and when I need to turn and not and like having that that sort of experience and then certainly having that experience as like a professional, I think does give you a different perspective. But that's what we like on this show. That's why we do the show the way we do. Is we want. It's why we're doing this show right now. Literally, is because we want different perspectives and different approaches to I think then if Joe's bringing an analytical one and then Graham has a thought about like well I remember it like in this way like you want there to be that sort of back and forth and I think we to go back to the like what what is the show if you're new to it you're not I don't think you're gonna get a ton of like no you're totally wrong this guy's the best of all time no you're totally wrong this guy's the best I, I that I don't find as fun I don't really get as much out of that but I think having interesting and interested conversations about players and teams and approaches to things is is fundamentally i think what this show is about so that's that's my little uh soapbox for a moment but thank you for telling that story and i do think it's pretty common that people get insulted in their first games because i definitely <laughs> had that exact same experience but you were wearing like hawaiian a hawaiian shirt and, I was and wearing shorts, flannel and shirt, right? shorts maybe and maybe some sandals <laughs> yeah and, and maybe somebody called me out for that one yeah i had pants on taylor come on man this is not the same thing <laughs> all right in my defense i had before that i had covered uh, the like International Champions Cup or whatever it was back then, those preseason friendlies. So I showed up to those in a like in a in a sport coat and a shirt and a button up shirt and and I think it was maybe Philly and it was like 110 degrees and I had to walk to the stadium and I was just dripping sweat. And when I got there, everybody there was wearing Hawaiian shirts because it was all people from the daily newspapers in England getting to basically have a free vacation in the United States to cover these teams on their preseason tours. And so they were treating it as such. But I assumed that's how people dress. And then I showed up for my first U.S. national team game. And that is not how people <laughs> dress in the press box. And I learned that quickly. I learned that. I also learned that uh, in uh, the Raven Stadium, they have uh, frozen Snickers when you get your, your, your press meal. What? And that informed every single stadium experience from then on for me. That if you oh, don't have a frozen awesome. Snickers, you will never be as good as Baltimore. <laughs> so true. Did you say frozen <laughs> Snickers? 
Yeah, man. Have you not experienced a frozen Snickers, Ryan Bailey, despite your time in the United States? I value my teeth. It's an is ice cream bar. Is it any it's different an from bar. an ice cream? Yeah, so it's just a, a Snickers ice cream. Oh, you don't potato. mean literally it's frozen solid or anything? <laughs> yeah, it's a block of ice. You have to chisel it out. And then once you chisel it out, you eat the wrapper as well. Okay. It's very, very bland and slightly plasticky. Ryan, you, you've got to have had some good uh, media stadium food at some of the games you've been at. Like a Champions League final. What, do you, what food do you get there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Prawn sandwich grade all around. Yeah. Uh, and it, particularly <laughs> if, you're, if you're a guest of someone like Adidas. Uh, sorry, Adidas. I just slipped into my American accent for a moment there. Um, yeah, you, you definitely get some very good stuff. I've had some sit-down meals, Graham. And like Stanford Bridge. Have you been to Stanford Bridge, Graham? Whoa, it's good. No, I haven't. No, it's one of the few stadiums in England I haven't been to. It's a treat. It's a treat. <laughs> the the Sanders Stadium had a Starbucks in the press area, and that was that was pretty solid. Yeah, that's as well. amazing. I was a big fan of that one. So Seattle as well is is perfect. That is true. Uh, and Dusseldorf. Uh, I loved our trip in the Bundesliga. The Dusseldorf Stadium was rough times. <laughs> rough times in Dusseldorf. Uh, Ryan, where's your worst meal you've had? In a stadium? You want me to call yeah. it out? <laughs> yeah. What was it? Oh, what um, was the food? I think probably White Hart Lane, because the old White Hart Lane is uh, a dump. <laughs> Uh, and was okay. a dump and deserved to be knocked down. Uh, I went to I went to a Champions League game, the uh, Tottenham Inter Milan, the Gareth Bale taxi for Mycon game, I think it was. And um, yeah, it, I remember it being like stuff they got out of the freezer section of the supermarket kind of situation. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and and Ryan, uh, that that same final question. Either way, you want to take it. Favorite thing you've been watching or favorite soccer memory? Uh, I probably have covered the soccer memory stuff in talking about my formative years. So I'll go straight oh. to my media fun yeah. and games, if that's okay, Tate. Uh, of the TV shows I've been watching lately, my favorites, uh, I think Ted Lasso was absolutely superb, and ah, yes. I, I was all geared up to think it would be terrible and cheesy. And I, my brother texted me recently, and I thought he 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 wouldn't have liked it at all. But he was like. Have you seen this Ted Lasso? It's the most incredible thing. And I thought he was the last person who might have engaged with uh, an American soccer coach coming over to the UK kind of uh, situation. So very much recommend that. Letter Kenny, I've been really into. Um, after Shit's Creek, I wanted to get my Canadian comedy fix. Uh, that's on Hulu. Letter Kenny that's is right. absolutely excellent. And um, if you want something else that packs in a lot of jokes and is very dense like that, uh, Girls 5 Ever is on Peacock at the moment. It's like, uh, I don't know if you like uh, 30 Rock or Kimi Schmidt, it's a Tina Fey mm-hmm. thing, so it's very similar, silly sense of humor, but it all very densely packed in. I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend that. And it's got Sarah Bareilles in it, who is very, very talented indeed. Um, looking at movies, I will double down on Graham's recommendation of Soul. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, in terms of m- music, I think the, the album that got me through the pandemic was Haim's album, Women in Music Part 3, which I still... I've worn a hole in it, if that's possible, for a, a digital download. I think that's absolutely wonderful and is going to hold up. And I, I'm gutted they haven't actually been able to tour that album at all. I think they're just about to start doing that. Um, and other podcasts, I don't listen to any other podcasts. I'm kidding. <laughs> that I is do. correct. Um, I, I, I'm really into comedy improv. And I know you like this too, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Comedy Bang Bang and the, the whole yep. Earwolf um, um, studio stuff. I, I'm really into that kind of stuff. So those are my recommendations slash things I have been liking outside of the beautiful game. I will say def- it made me very happy when Ryan I was the first one I think I can remember to ever point out that I, I do indeed take most of my ad read approach not the rambling so much but the the introduction from Scott Ackerman when I'm you doing do, do my, do my ad read. This episode is sponsored by 
That is correct. Uh, <laughs> let me just hit mute on Ryan's mic and Graham's <laughs> mic to say uh, Ryan and Graham also have gone on at length about how much they enjoy Love Island. Uh, they've watched every season. <laughs> they have lots of thoughts about it. I think they're running a blog about how much they enjoy it. Uh, so, yeah, gentlemen, uh, if you disagree with what I just said, go ahead and talk real fast. Uh, so if you're hearing this, we have just had to restart the recording because it turns out the software we, we were using does not allow you to unmute <laughs> the guests. Uh, so my hilarious practical joke backfired spectacularly. And since I'm editing, I now get to deal with bridging those two files. Graham and Ryan, I apologize for linking you to Love Island. And um, uh, I feel like I've been punished accordingly. Taylor, I think that's you just, what you get. Yeah, you just missed the 15 minutes I did on um, why I love Love Island so much. You're never going to hear it again. <laughs> Oh my god! I mentioned once that like my my wife had had that on as I walked through the room, and both of you were just like, "I've never felt more judged in a friendly way, but more like, oh no, like you all were not okay with that at all." So uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate you all tolerating my attempts to mute you and be funny, and instead it backfiring spectacularly. <laughs> Last thing uh, before I let you all go, uh, I did ask earlier about like anything that you all would like to bring to the review shows that we're doing doesn't need to be like a full segment or anything like that but if people are sort of listening to those episodes are there things that you tend to want to focus on or maybe haven't been able to talk about as much in other episodes of this show or elsewhere that you would like to uh with the coming uh european championships or just sort of generally speaking graham what is your approach when it comes to reviewing games what do you like to talk about what do you want to uh to focus on yeah, so I, th- I think specifically, um, if I can, if I can mention one thing that Taylor and I, you, uh, we've already spoken about privately, is I think we're going to try and do a, a soccer one on one on on Scotland, kind of <laughs> what happened for the last thirty years and why yeah. are we now a major tournament again? Why are we now producing seemingly good players again? And what happened? So, um, yeah, I think as as a single issue story, and and, and I'm I'm very much on board with kind of the, the single issue format of exploring a story a little bit more in depth. Cause obviously when we do the, the weekend review, it's, you know, you, you maybe don't get the time to talk about a single issue as much. So that's one. I don't know when, when particularly my schedule is going to allow for it, but I think I'd, I'd quite like to get that one uh, in the book. And, and uh, during a major tournament, one of the things that I always look for, and it's not always related to the soccer, and we won't spend too much time on this, uh, I promise, but I always, there's always strange stuff that happens in a major tournament. So mm-hmm. one of the things that sticks in my mind is Robbie Williams doing the Russian opening ceremony three years ago at the World Cup. <laughs> I mean, they do know that there are, there have been pop stars since the early 2000s, don't they, Russia? Mm-hmm. Really? Um, no, don't about that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I always think it's 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 kind of like the the Eurovisionification of a major tournament where Euro- one of the best things about Eurovision is you're not actually really commenting on the quality of the, the songs or the music. It's yeah. all the other stuff that happens. And I think there is an element of that with major tournaments, whether it's the broadcasts or the opening ceremonies or whatever. And that's one of the things I always look forward to with major tournaments. All right. I like it. What about you, Joe? I'll be bringing as much tactical analysis as I can without having it be be boring. Hopefully, we can bring that in an entertaining kind of way. It'll be easier on one game days versus three game days, so it might it might vary a little bit from week to week. I I enjoy the different combination of voices and of backgrounds and of perspectives that we have, especially with the four of us. Taylor, you and I tend to to be slightly towards the analysis side, and, and Graham likes to to poke out that chaos and to point out that chaos and also bring in some of that as well. And then Ryan can do a little bit of everything. So I think it works out quite well. As far as like directions to take the show, Taylor, you and I have talked about this before. 
I think doing some more long form stuff would be really interesting and branching out and, and mm-hmm. doing some different stories and, and narrative based shows outside the theater inside we i don't know the model of that but that's really interesting to me outside of the tactical realm that i often operate in all right i'm 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 excited to explore that as well for sure maybe maybe once we're able to sleep and not watch soccer for like nine straight hours we can yes. focus on those things but yeah i'm with you on that one yes uh ryan for you uh what, what are what are the areas you want to bring to the uh to the show or you want to focus on that maybe we haven't talked about as much i'm pretty happy with the focus we have now taylor i think huh? uh, joe summed it up very nicely of the of what we all bring to the show but what we what i would like to kind of serialize and bring in is i'm working on a soccer rock opera at the moment um it's called soccerama please let this be true um it's it's a, it's a character driven piece so um it, it's going to be very intricate I'm, I'm i'm at about the three hour stage with it at the moment so we'll, we'll find the space for me to to uh let that be a uh, broadcast here if that's okay here is the only reason why i'm confident in saying that this is not real is because if it were me doing it, it would be at least three hours long. Ryan Bailey's rock opera is like a tight 120, is my guess. <laughs> 120 months? Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, I will say, uh, Graham Ruffin, thank you very much for being so generous with your time to talk about uh, yourself and your background and your interests and all that good stuff. It's very much appreciated. No problem at all. I'm looking forward to the, the next few weeks. Yeah, as am I. Joe Lowry, uh, the same to you over there in the desert with the, with the basketball and the football, but also the analytics and tactics and uh, mean Germans talking about your tactical <laughs> mouse. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Taylor, as always. Uh, and Ryan, you've been okay. Love to your mothers. <laughs> Ryan, sincerely, I, I think I always I always end up being like catty sarcastic towards ryan i think probably because i have the the longest relationship with ryan um but but it is the case that ryan has made uh the the show better uh my life easier and i always enjoy it and when i'm able to catch the simpsons references uh because they sometimes are very deep cuts i appreciate those as well yeah whatever Ah, <laughs> uh, turnabout's fair play. All right, gentlemen, thank you all so much, listeners. We have more Euro previews coming. Joe and I are going to be reviewing the USA Costa Rica friendly, and then we have the start of the European Championships. But until then, thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Clichés show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close 
We'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks' time. <laughs>